0: Ephesians, the first chapter. We're picking up where we left off last week. We, we talked about a new reality, or you could say it this way, another reality. Because there is another reality. In other words, there is the life that everybody knows and that everybody lives. You know, just the general population goes about life like it's all about them and what they can do today. But there is another reality And uh, we need to know about this other reality, and we need to know about it in a real way. And and it's an eternal reality. And so in Ephesians, the first chapter, there is a statement here that is profound. And God wants us to know this new reality or this other reality, you could say, because there are people out there that don't know God loves them, don't know that Jesus died for them or it's just an idea to them, but it should be a reality. Some things people hear, they just hear stuff. But is, is it a reality to you? Is it real? And that's huge, because everything that got, got purchased in Christ and the different things in the Bible, God wants them to be a reality in your life. And so Ephesians, the first chapter um, and we're not going to go back over much of what we shared last week, but a couple of things. Notice this in verse, the first chapter, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a reality in itself. Amen. And we talked about that last week, how in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, how that different people, even back where they lived, some people, uh, when they would offer stuff to idols, they thought there were different gods and different things like that. And he said to us who know and have the truth revealed to us, he said there's just one God. And we saw that how the world can have one reality, but there is a true reality. In other words, to them, that's what they think is real. They think that's what's right. But how many of you know when everybody dies, then what is, is it is. In other words, life is not a waste. It matters. And if someone dies and they don't know the true reality, they miss out on it all. And they admit... Been following something they thought was great, right, and whatever. This is why we need to be possessors of the true reality, and that's what we share with people. And it's, and it needs to be real. You know, hey, you know, we we went hiking the other night. I was going to say something, but we went hiking the other night, and uh, we went up on this this hill because we'd been going with the group from that's been going to Honduras, kind of, or some of the people. It's been open to others. But one night, a couple weeks ago, we went out with a group, and, and I was walking along, and all of a sudden, I, and people were like, I've never seen you act like that. I just went, ah, ah, ah. I didn't know if I, I thought I got bit, and a snake was holding onto my ankle. It was a ball of cactus like this, and it was a choya and there were, I still have a mark this big. There's got to be 40 marks where the needles went in. And so you can always share this experience with people, but it's not until you know it yourself that you can say, this is how it feels, this is what it's like. And Lindsay was there. She went. Because she's like, I'm with pliers. Pulling these out of my ankle and the skin is just stretching. I mean, big time. They're not just like. If this is what plucking eyebrows is, then my oh my, that's I mean you know for ladies it can't be this bad. I mean it, I mean it, it 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 can't be worse. There's no way because your skin would be all stretched out up here from pulling on them all the time. I mean literally it pulled pull one out. I've pulled 15 of them out, and she said, "Does that hurt?" I just started busting out laughing. Everybody did. No, doesn't hurt. But the thing was, the other night, this is what I was going to say, we went on a a hike and there was only five of us and there would normally been more, but everybody got cactus except for one person. So what was a reality to me became a reality to other people. And so now it's real. They don't have to say, well, somebody went out you know, the other day and he got a cactus in his leg and you should have seen and the skin stretched and I'm sure it hurt, I think. Well, now each person has their own experience. It's real to them. It's firsthand. That's what God wants here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved, God is your Father Jesus is your Lord, He is your Savior, and He's not just the one who washed you from all sin. The church has made a mistake to not share sometimes the full truth for fear of failure. But notice this, it says, who has? Now, I, I, I wasn't the best English person, you know, I speak English, but in school, that wasn't, you know... I do know like past tense, present tense, future tense. And if it says has, then that doesn't mean he's going to. And so many people want God to do certain things for him, them, and they're waiting on God to do something, but this is not a present reality that he has. They're wanting to be blessed, they're wanting to be delivered. They're wanting to have health. They're wanting to have strength. They're wanting to have certain things. But, and so they're praying, trying to get it, instead of believing that he's already done something and that it's yours. We're not, we're not telling people, hey, just pray and let's believe God that you'll get saved. You totally know it's already paid for. And if they call on the name of the Lord, they get it right then because it's already taken care of. Notice this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has. That needs to become a reality to us. He has done something. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, we know from the first chapter, if you read further on, he talked, Paul talked to this church, and he said, and I pray, once you get down to the 15th, 16th verse, he said, I pray for you that the eyes of your understanding would see this. In other words, you'd get this reality in you, and one of the things he said would be that you would know what your inheritance is. The inheritance in the Bible is divine health and healing, Deliverance, authority over the devil, provision. It goes on and on about victory. And so the thing is, he tells us here that he has already done something. He has already blessed us with these spiritual blessings. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Not far from there, but 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter... And we're going to go a little further on this new reality. Here's the thing. The reality that the world says is, you know, you just kind of go with the flow and whatever happens, happens. But is there a reality that's from God that's superior to the knowledge that's propagated in the world? And if there is, can I know it? Can I walk in it? And we need it to be real. Amen? Notice this 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter in the 18th verse. It says, While we do not look at the things which are seen. Well, what are things that are seen? They're, They're things of the senses. They're things you can touch. They're things you can taste. There are things, you, you know, that you can hear. Well, you don't look at those things. That's not where your focus should be. That's what Paul said. As a matter of fact, in the context, he's talking about the afterlife or for a life beyond here. And see, and if you only look at natural things, that knowledge will only take you so far. Because the natural doesn't always show you the spiritual. And so there's another reality. There is the true reality. Matter of fact, this natural world was created by a spiritual God, and, and the only God, and He made everything that we see. But so many people have relied on what they can see and feel instead of what God has said. God is ultimately greater. His Word is ultimately greater. And if you notice here, it says verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How can I look at what is not seen? I mean, you think about it. Your eyes are always focusing on the scene, but he said you, that doesn't mean walk around with your eyes closed. I'm not supposed to look at the things I'm seeing. I mean, if you cause an accident on the road today, because you're like, well, what was the cause? Were you on your cell phone? No, I just had my eyes closed because I was trying to look at things that were not seen instead of things that are seen. It's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is there is something you should focus on and look at more than just physical things and the temporal things. And so it says, and it makes an interesting thing, a statement here. He said, for the things which are seen are temporary Or literally subject to change. They're not eternal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Think about that. Whatever is not seen that's of God is, is eternal, it's unchanging. These things that we've been blessed with are eternal realities. The things that we see are subject to change, they are not permanent they are not as steadfast as the work that Christ did. And he said, well, we don't look at these things, and that's not where we fix our gaze. Why? Because they're subject to change. And it's interesting, you know, I think sometimes if we just only focus on the things that are seen, here's the thing. We're kind of like a roller coaster, and we're not the front car we're the cars behind. Whatever we're connected to and wherever it's going, we go. And if your focus is only on the natural things, when everything is bad, you're going to be bad. And when it's up, you're going to be up. You're just going to follow the sway of what you focus on and what your gaze is upon. And, what your, and if it's all on natural things, man, you're going to be in for a ride totally in for a ride and everybody around you is going to be in for a ride too because you will be screaming when you're going down and shouting when you're going up and everything like that but he actually is trying to help us get off the ride and get into a new reality the real thing because then it doesn't matter if you know a building falls down praise the lord i'm still here And we don't have to panic when something happens. But if we're only looking at the temporal, we won't reach out and take hold of the spiritual things. And that's where your solution is for everything you'll ever need. If something were to happen with a job, and all you're doing is looking at that, then people who are totally fixed on the natural and not looking at the spiritual will say, what are we going to do now? But those Who are not looking at the things seen, but the things that are eternal, have no problem. They go, God is my source. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus became poor so I might be rich. That I might have a full supply. But if I'm only looking at the natural and focusing on the one, then that is what's going to just draw my life and going to pull me everywhere. If I think, what am I going to do? Well, the Lord's my shepherd. He's going to lead me be, to the best place. He's going to lead me beside still waters. He's going to supply all my need. And I hear his voice, the Bible said, "In the voice of the stranger I will not follow. So he's going to guide me. He's going to help me in this situation right now. But if all I'm looking at is the natural, I am going to be suffering. I am. Because I'm going to be... in. A, I'm just going to be like, oh, what's... Because what I have focused in is really what I trust. Whatever we focus in, that's what we trust. And so if that's where my focus is, that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then it'll all be added unto you. Because that's where where you focus is where you trust. And he said, and if you put it in the right order, he said, it will come to you. He said, the Gentiles focus after it, but he said, if you look not at those things, in other words, don't look at the temporary, but look at me, look at my kingdom, look at me, what I've promised, what I've said, he said, then it'll be added to your life. And what's interesting here is he said, these things are subject to change, but the eternal is not. So how steadfast is that? They're unbendable. I said, they're unbendable. And so we need to understand that God wants us to walk in his best. So there are two realities. There is the real true, and then there are false things, or things that are subject to change that are not eternal, that are not of God. And we looked at some of that, and we're not going to go back over it. But turn with me to Hebrews, the second chapter. And we'll look at a couple of things here that will help us to have these things producing in our life. What about all these things that he said he's already got, he's already bought, he's already paid for? Well, that'd be neat to have them. They are ours. We just need to learn to cooperate, so to speak. Notice this in Hebrews 2. And this is a real interesting verse of Scripture. Now, if you read Romans 5 and some other places, you'll see that when sin came in the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, Somebody said, do you believe in Adam and Eve? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Question is not, do I? Don't you? And uh, but the Bible said when sin entered into the world, death came by sin. Well, was it physical death that came? Well, ultimately it played out in physical death. But it was spiritual death. What did spiritual death do? It was like the trap door. You know what they say, open Pandora's box. It it let everything ill into man. It took, and took out divine life that repelled any evil and anything and caused man to prosper and be blessed and walk in a good relationship with God and have divine health and divine strength and victory and dominion and all that stuff. And as soon as life vacated, death came. And the Bible says that now death even produces sin, which sin was the thing that opened the door and caused death to come. Life vacated humanity. And the Bible said it spread like a disease. And every man from Adam on has this disease called spiritual death and separation from God. And the absence of light and life and immortality. And so the darkness just floods in and lives there because the light is gone. The life is gone. And so really, you could say this, when we come alive in God, we actually get our freedom from all the ills that will ever affect humanity. Though your body will get old, you have been released if you would know it. But here is an interesting thing right here in Hebrews. Though there is the true reality, there is something else that we need to understand about this. Because we want to come away from living according to the natural and really walk out these things. Amen? And and know Him for ourselves and walk in the freedom, walk in the victory that He has. Notice this in, in Hebrews 2, 14. It says, In so much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same. You go back and read different things in different places, why he became what he became. I mean, God became like this to help us out. I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing. God became like a man, emptied himself to help us. And not just to give a helping hand, but I mean to radically change everything. It says, insomuch then as the children have Uh, partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same talking about a good god he identified with us he became tempted like us you go read through the book of hebrews we can never say god you don't know what i'm going through because he wouldn't have personally but he became a man so he personally could What for? Why did he become to ransom man who could no longer ransom himself? The first Adam caused the disease. The second Adam brought the cure. And it's interesting as you read here. It says, In so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. That through death, now, this was through his physical death that he might destroy him who had the power of death. That's spiritual death that produces everything else that has to do with death. Sickness and disease and every ill to humanity is, is death. It's a result of death. Going, people starving is, is, is death in action broken prayers and not walking with God is death in action. It's surely not life. It happened when man fell and death began to reign over man. All the ills of humanity, with man having no answer for them, are death. Death. It's not just something to be petted, it's death. The dominion of the devil He couldn't rule over Adam and Eve. They had to give in. And when they sinned, then he came in and is called the God of this world. But Jesus got the victory over him so we don't have to be defeated by him. So why the Bible said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Ephesians says, don't give him a place in your life. Mark 16 says, in his name you can exercise dominion over him. I mean, on and on. But those truths were unheard of before Jesus' work. But all the ills of humanity are really just the offspring of death. They're death in action. Sickness is death in action. You know, the greater the sickness, the more severe it is, the greater effect it has toward death. But it's just death in action. You ever heard somebody say, I got the flu, I felt like I was going to die. Well, you didn't feel like, woo glory to God, woo hallelujah. I wonder what God's trying to teach me. He's not trying to teach you anything through death and ill, ever. And when you're overcome or the enemies come against people and they think, oh, my goodness, this is, that's not God. That's, those are things of death. They would not have had their place unless sin got inside of man and opened the door to the ills in the earth. Jesus got the answer. That's why it says you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. The problem is we don't always know it because we're only looking at circumstances and we haven't been told, look somewhere else. Now, but we've heard now that there are these things. But what can stop us from gravitating back toward the earthly things that are temporary and get over on these heavenly things that are provided for us in Christ? Well, this verse, I believe, really has a key to it, and when we read it, we'll think about some of the things Jesus said. Notice this: it says, "In so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, or spiritual death. That is the devil." And release those who through fear of death put anything you want in there that's of the fall. Fear of sickness. Fear of poverty. Fear of broken relationship. Fear of defeat in anything that is not of God. And so through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear is something that will try to hold you back. From staying connected to the unseen realities that are fact in God. How did Jesus, or why did, what did Jesus say to Peter when he had started out walking on the water and started overcoming the circumstances? And then he said, Peter, you're awesome because nobody else has tried this? No. He talked about his unbelief, but he said, Why did you fear? fear. It made him subject to the wrong when he began to fear. How did he begin to fear? He started looking at the wind and the waves and the sea that were going, that were there the whole time. And the Bible said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are eternal. And it's interesting how many times like the one person came to Jesus and said, you know, child's close to death and Crowds around him and he's on his way, and then a woman breaks in and she grabs or touches the hem of Jesus' garment. He recognizes healing power. The whole train comes to a halt, but he's headed to this person's house. Person gets healed, and then he's about ready to start moving, and somebody comes and said, Don't trouble the master any further. Your servant, you know, or your daughter, whoever it was, is dead. What did Jesus say? first thing out of his mouth was he said, fear not. Because if you're going to fear, you're going to close the door. But he said, fear not, only believe. And how many times did he say that to different people? Don't get in fear. Because what is fear? It's you taking your attention and taking your focus off of God, his ability, what he's paid for, and putting it over on something that is not of life and that was literal death and other times the storm that storm couldn't overcome him until he got in fear peter and so what he did was he got in fear and it made him subject to it and so fear isn't always i'm quaking in my bones fear can be a little different it can look at you and say this won't work this can't work and instead of saying he paid for it and it's mine, you get your attention over on it can't work, it won't work, it's not working. That is fear, disguised, and we would even call it unbelief. But he said when people are fearful of death, it makes them subject to bondage. What if I do it and it doesn't work? That's fear. That's focusing on it not working. While we look not, but we'll look at all the people it didn't work for. While we look not at the things that are seen. Yeah, but I know about 12 people it didn't, and only one it did. While we look not. I mean, that's already a fundamental violation. Why is this important? Because we want to walk in this real way of life that's actually eternal. It's God's design. I said it's God's design, and like I said, it's kind of like a roller coaster. Whatever you put your attention on, you know that eventually if it's going up, you're going up. If it goes down, you're going down. If you trust in the society, and it's all on an upward swing, and the stock market's climbing, woohoo, hoo toot the horn, bus driver, woohoo. Remember when you were on a field trip in school? I don't know if you did this. I'm from Southern California. We were cool this way. And we'd be riding on the bus, you know, and you go by a semi on a field trip. Everybody's like, you eh, eh, try and get the bus driver to honk. Everybody, yeah, all right, you know, like a big deal. But, uh, you know, I wonder if people are like that. When everything's going good, honk the horn. Eh, eh, you know, I got faith like you can't believe. And everything's going bad. I don't know what happened. We need to make sure Our focus is not on the temporal. There are are some fundamental things we can do about this. Turn with me to uh, uh, Romans 8. This is an interesting stretch of Scripture, and this may be where we end today, but that's probably not true. So, let's just read. I don't want to give you false hope or false expectation, you know. But then again, I guess I could always go back there and say, see, I told you, that's where we're going to close. Romans 8. It's, it's an interesting set of scriptures. I'm contemplating going back a few chapters. Um, Romans the 8th chapter the first couple of verses talk about getting victory in Christ you know what let's go back to Romans 5 then we'll go over here Romans Actually, Romans 4.25, we'll read the very last verse of the four... Let's just go to Romans 1.1. 1. 1. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Romans 4.25. <clears throat> I mean, we're going five chapters at a time almost, or three or four, but... So here we go, 4.25. Who was delivered up because of our offenses, and, but he was raised... Because of or for our justification, why did Jesus die? Why did he suffer? He suffered for all the wrongs that humanity ever commits, will commit, did commit. Why was he raised up? For your justification. Well, what does that mean? To set you right with God like you never sinned. That's just it. Whether you like it or not, you should look at that instead of focusing on what you did wrong last week. Last night, last month, the last five days. That's what you need to look at. He set me right. He set me right. Therefore, verse one, having been justified or declared in good standing with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all right between me and God, it's all right between you and God. You have peace. There's no hostilities anymore. There might be some in your mind, but those could be there because you're just thinking on the wrong thing. You're you're not looking at the things that are unseen. You're looking at the things that are seen or relatively close to an experience you just had. I did this. I acted like this. But he said, we have peace with God. There's no more hostility. There's no more war. There's no more animosity between us. It's all settled. God's taking care of it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom, verse 2, also we have access by faith into this grace or the strength and ability in which we stand and rejoice and hope our expectation of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Huh, why? Because we've been justified. We've been set back into a victorious position. Read on. You know, those who receive abundance of grace in the the 17th verse, the 5th chapter, abundance of grace. You know, if through one man's transgression, you know, sin came, death came, and ruled man. It says, then it goes on to talk about through that verse, how that by that one offense, death reigned. What kind of death? Physical? No, spiritual. Death reigned. And then it talks about those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign, can live victorious in this life through one Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible said. Somebody said, I don't like what you're preaching. Well, then I'm not going to read Reader's Digest. Mad Magazine may have its place, but ain't going to be right here. Alfred E. Newman, I'm not even sure if he's saved. Verse 2, through whom... Also, we have access by faith into this grace, this ability, this strength in which we stand, and we rejoice in expectation of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Why would you glory in a tribulation? Well, God just wants to see me go through and suffer some snow. No, no, because you know you can win. You know you can win at every tribulation that comes. Every test, the Bible said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The Bible said he causes us to triumph always. I mean, you read all these different things about victory. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and you have overcome them. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about glorying in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or literally endurance. And endurance, character or literally approved and godly character. And notice character produces expectation. A positive God word expectation. Why? Well he says this. He said character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. This expectation you have, there should be no disappointment in it. Why? He said, because the love of God has been poured out in your heart. What what does he mean, the love of God has been poured out in your heart? I used to think he meant patience is poured out in my heart, though the Bible does cover that. Kindness is poured out in my heart. But if you read this phrase, the love of God, remember in 1 John he said, You've known and believed the love that God has to you. What was the love God had to you? Jesus and what he bought and paid for. What did he pay for? All those spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now when he talks about this, if you read on, he talks about God demonstrating his love in the verses after and how Christ died and it was a demonstration of God's love and what he bought and what he paid for. So when he said, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, it's the work of Christ. It's what he did. The Spirit wants that reality in you. Everything that's been bought, everything that's been paid for, remember 1 Corinthians 2? He, it says, by the Spirit, we know all these things that have been freely given to us by him. The Spirit of God in you causes us to know All that Christ did, that act of love, everything that was bought, everything that was paid for, no wonder hope would not disappoint. If I'm expecting, based on the love that God has shown me and the work that he's provided, I can't be disappointed. Or I shouldn't be. But let's go now back to Romans 8. What could hinder this? Are there any hindrances? Are there any things we should be aware of if we're going to walk in this? Romans, the 8th chapter. Notice this. We'll start uh, in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Interesting. He said, your life and the way you live causes you to focus on certain things. Obedience would be critical here. Because if I'm obeying, then I'm following what He wants. Then it will tend for me to have my mind on the right thing. But if I say, and I could be saved and say, I love you, God, but I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to forgive, and I'm not going to do what you say, then what happens is it makes for us tending to put our minds on carnal, fleshly things, which we're not to focus on because they're temporal. Here he gives more strength to what they produce. And it's interesting... He tells us if you live a certain way, you will put your mind there. If you live another way, you will put your mind there. You'll follow it. Notice this. For those who live according to the flesh, set, or in other words, you could say the outward man instead of the inward man, the new life, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Even though you have spiritual life, this can be still produced. And we, don't, we shouldn't fear it, but if we disobey or don't do what we know, we actually are, with, without even maybe realizing it, putting our mind on something else. We're causing ourselves to gravitate another way. And he said, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. That's that word zoe, God's life, His quality of life, and peace, divine peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it'll cause more struggles in your head. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but read this next verse. This is about every saved person. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Basically, he's just going to say, if you're saved, he's in you. You have the full potential just by the new birth to have your mind on spiritual things. That is where you will tend. But, he didn't stop there. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness or your good standing with God. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and we already read He has to if you're saved. He who raised Christ from the dead, I mean, His whole body has been in the ground for days. Every fiber of His body is being affected he is preaching deliverance to the captives in hell, and he's taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He's conquering Satan, but his body is rotting. Think about this. The Spirit not only quickened him and brought him up, but brought his body up, every part of it, and transfigured it completely. You don't think that this divine life has power to fix a body? Now remember, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised or quickened Christ from the dead will also give life or quicken your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It will have an effect on you or can. But remember, there is a key. Well, I look not at this, but I look at this. To be carnally minded produces death. The things that are not of redemption. But to be spiritually minded will produce and release the life and the ability of God in every area of your life. It can affect every area. But notice this. Now, we're the, the Spirit's alive. You've got new life. If you're saved, you've got the ability. You do. You can live this way. You can live right. And when you obey... It will cause you and tend toward a spiritual mind. It will. It'll cause you to have a sp- be spiritually minded to get your focus on the right thing. But notice what he goes on to say. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. In other words, we are debtors. But notice, he said, not to the flesh. In other words, the natural body, the natural compulsions, the, the stuff that's that God's maybe directed you away from, we, we don't have to be slaves to that because we're not debtors anymore to it. Why? Because we have new life. We have victory over the flesh. You can control your body. You can control what you do when you get saved. I think that's why when Paul discussed eternal life with King Agrippa and getting saved. The Bible said he reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Because he was saying, you probably act like a dog. You do all these different things. But if you'd get eternal life, you could control yourself. You could do. You'd have something working in you. You'd have divine life. You'd have the ability to walk free. You could obey. And if you'll obey... It'll fix your thinking. It'll start straightening things up in your life. You'll become spiritually minded. You won't be experiencing death, but you'll be experiencing life. All that it brings and that doorway that's the trap door that brought everything caving in on humanity gets closed in your life and all the rest can start working. But notice what he said here. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Why? Because you'll start setting your mind on earthly things, and to be carnally minded will begin to produce death. He said, so that's the incubator, your reasoning capacity. What you ponder incubates your faith, develops what you believe. So God will always lead you into paths of righteousness, the Bible said, for His namesake, and into good things. That's why we would not incubate bitterness and harshness. Because we've got love. We have a new nature. And, And if I do, then my mind, I've gone away from what God's told me to do. And now I'm setting my mind on something that's carnal that will produce no life. Death things of spiritual death. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. And if you're saved, you truly don't want it either. And God has given us a remedy. Who cares about if somebody else is bitter? I mean, I'll fix me and I'll love them and I want to get my mind on the Lord and because it'll make my mind gravitate as I obey toward the right thing. Didn't mean all things will be solved, but you'll have the ability to get answers and walk in victory in every area. And so notice he said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, The deeds of the body, in other words, you do what you know is right, whatever God deals with you about, whatever you know, you put to death the deeds of the body. He said, you will live. We'll go back and read those verses. Those who are after the flesh put their mind on it, and that's what's produced. But here, you can produce something else out of the inside of you by being an obedient person. Making sure the Lord is the center of your life, and you do whatever He tells you to do. This is the best path. Keeps the door closed, but it also helps you with your thinking. You with me? So I said we were going to close here. So I won't turn there, but I'll quote Colossians, the third chapter, in the first verse. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, where are those heavenly blessings? Those blessings, they're in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody said, well, they're just spiritual things up there. Nuh-uh. They are, healing is not physical. It's spiritual. Prosperity is not, is not physical. It's spiritual. New life is not physical. It's spiritual. Every blessing, the answered prayer, is not physical. It's spiritual. It affects the natural. The earth was made by spiritual things. Words. So those spiritual blessings he talked about in heavenly places... Remember there we started with that? We'll close with this. It's kind of closing the zipper. Somebody said you should have checked before you got up there. Not this zipper, the, the you know, just the message, Whoop, closing it up. But you think about it. He said, if then you were raised with Christ. I like to read it like this. Get rid of the if because I'm saved. You have been raised with Christ, therefore... Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. It almost sounds kind of like the same. King James says, set your affection on things above. New King James says, set your mind on things above. It talks about how you died and your life is hid with him in Christ and when Christ, who is your life, appears. Well, this divine life that's in you can flow and affect every area of your life. But he tells you there, you can't be fixated on earthly things. Somebody said, well, I'm just going to do that. You can, but at the same time, you have to be obedient. You have to obey. And you can if you're saved. I said you can, and it will cause a cure inside of you, so to speak. In other words, it'll remedy situations. It'll get things in order in, inside yourself. And then when things come, because you know you're doing it, you're right, you can just say, no, that's trying to draw my mind over there. No, I'm keeping it right on you, Lord, what you did, who you are, what you bought, period. And what will that do? Produce life and peace. That beats that other junk that we've been delivered from. Amen? I don't know about you, but this is good news. For you, for me, for anybody. Anybody?